Five, as you know, we are reviewing some, some lessons, some typology, some pictures that we learned from the tabernacle. This somewhat dry, somewhat tedious, almost boring section of the Old Testament. It really comes alive when you dig a little bit deeper. And in light of the New Testament, we understand that it pictures the person and work of Jesus Christ and also important lessons for us to learn regarding salvation and the Christian life. We've learned many of those lessons so far, not only in the general purpose of the tabernacle to provide a place for man to meet with God, to provide a place for God to dwell with man. That's what Christ accomplished. He was God manifest in the flesh. He's the way, the truth, and the life. Neither is there salvation in the other. The tabernacle pictures salvation in that righteousness is what we don't have. That's that's what's pictured by the perimeter around the tabernacle. That's what forces us through the door, and the door is Jesus Christ. So the laws are schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. We learn those lessons in the in the structure of the book of Exodus, where it's law and then tabernacle, why we need salvation, and then the description or picture of salvation. Then the pieces of furniture that we've studied thus far, if you enter through the door, you come first to the brazen altar, because not only do you have to believe in Jesus, you have to rely upon his sacrificial death for sins. And that's what the brazen altar uh, typifies. It was five by five by three, uh, typifying the death of the Godhead. You get past the brazen altar, and last week we went to the laver that symbolizes the purification of the child of God. We, we don't need to be washed with all, John 13 said, but our hands and our feet get dirty as we walk through life. And so we've got to stop and, and, and take advantage of the washing of water by the word and be purified and sanctified if we want to be usable to the Lord. Now, this morning, we enter into what Hebrews chapter 9 verse 2 calls the sanctuary. This is referred to as the tabernacle proper. This is an area where only the priests could go and minister one day a year, one man, the high priest, would enter into the Holy of Holies, but the priests ministered regularly in this section, which is referred to as the holy place. And in this section, there were three different, uh, three different articles of furniture. There was the table of showbread, which we'll study this morning. In addition to that, there was the candlestick, and then over here, the golden altar or the incense altar. You're in Exodus chapter number 25, and we're going to read about the pattern for the table of showbread. Exodus 25 and verse number 23. The Bible says, Thou, thou shalt also make a table of shittim wood. Two cubits shall be the length thereof, and a cubit the breadth thereof, and a cubit and a half the height thereof, and thou shalt overlay it with pure gold, and make thereto a crown of gold round about. Now, we have the same composition in many of these articles of furniture. The shit of wood points to the humanity of Jesus Christ. Here, the gold points to the deity of Jesus Christ. And when we were at the altar, it was shit of wood, but then it was overlaid with brass. But as we get closer to the Holy of Holies and the presence of God, the furnishings become more beautiful, the, 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 the materials become more precious, and so this table, it's shittim wood, but it's overlaid with gold. The dimensions given in this passage, it was two cubits by uh, two cubits the length, a cubit the breadth, a cubit and a half 
the height. So it was not a very large piece of furniture, especially for a table. It was about three feet wide. It was about a foot and a half deep, and it was two and a quarter feet high. So this small table of showbread there in the holy place or in the sanctuary. Verse number 25, thou shalt make into it a border of an hand breadth round about, and thou shalt make a golden crown to the border thereof round about. We don't really have it in this room. Think of crown molding, the decorative piece, kind of where the ceiling and the wall meet. There was a crown of gold around the perimeter, around the top of the table. And, and, and it looks like there were two of them. Verse number uh, 26, thou shalt make for it four rings of gold, put the rings in the four corners that are on the four feet thereof over against the border. Shall the rings be for places of the staves to bear the table. Thou shalt make the staves of shittim wood and overlay them with gold that the table may be born with them. Okay. So, so like the other piece of furniture, this piece of furniture had to be carried because they would set up camp and then they would, and then they would pitch camp and then they would take it down and they would move wherever the cloud, the glory of the Lord would lead them. They would journey through the wilderness. This tabernacle is a temporary structure. They were a nomadic people for 40 years. And so the priests, it was described in, I believe it's numbers chapter four, the Kohathites had the charge of carrying the table from place to place. On top of the table, verse number 29, thou shalt make the dishes thereof, the spoons thereof, and covers thereof, and bowls thereof, to cover withal of pure gold shalt thou make them, and thou shalt set upon the table showbread before me always. So on the table, we'll talk about the showbread in just a minute, but there were also spoons and dishes and covers, and you say, what were those for? That was for what took place at the golden altar, there were different vessels that were used for the offerings that would be made here. Those vessels were laid upon the table of showbread. And so part of the reason for that crown that went around the table was so that those things that are on the table, when the table's being carried, won't fall off. There's, there, there's a border so that those items are contained upon the table. And in this, it pictures the security of the believer. You remember in John chapter 10 that uh, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and I give them eternal life and, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father that gave them me is greater than all. No man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. Just as those items were secure upon the table, uh, upon the table of showbread because of the border roundabout, we have been sealed by the Holy Spirit of God. We are secure in Jesus Christ and as we walk through this world, there is nothing that can take us out of his hand. Verse number 30 again, the Bible says, And thou shalt set upon the table showbread before me always. So it's called the table of showbread because the primary function of this table was to hold these loaves of bread that would be set out and would continually be present before the Lord. Let's read about the bread in Leviticus chapter 24. We'll be back in Exodus 25, I believe, at some point. But come with me to Leviticus chapter 24 and look at verse number 5. The table of showbread. It's, it's overlaid with gold. It's made of shittim wood. It's three feet wide, a foot and a half deep, two and a quarter feet high. It has this ornamental crown 
around the border of it, but also serves the purpose of containing the items that were laid upon the table, especially when that table was moved by the Kohathites. Um, it contained the showbread as well as the as well as the dishes and spoons and covers and bowls for the service that would be rendered at the altar of incense. Let's read about the showbread in Leviticus 24, verse number 5. The Bible says, And thou shalt take fine flour and bake twelve cakes thereof. Two-tenth deals shall be in one cake. And thou shalt set them in two rows, six on a row, upon the pure table before the Lord. And thou shalt put pure frankincense upon each row, that it may be on the bread for a memorial, even an offering made by fire unto the Lord every Sabbath, he shall set it in order before the Lord continually, being taken from the children of Israel by an everlasting covenant. It shall be Aaron's and his sons, and they shall eat it in the holy place, for it is most holy unto him of the offerings of the Lord made by fire by a perpetual statute. So this bread, it was baked fresh every Sabbath, every Sabbath, they would replace the old bread with new bread. So they would lay it out in two rows, six loaves here, six loaves there. The priests would eat the old loaves that were put there the previous Sabbath, and they would put fresh bread, new loaves, every Sabbath day. So, so what is the teaching? What are the pictures? What are we to learn from this table and this bread, okay? Uh, let's, let's look first of all at the bread. And there are two things that the Bible gives us to understand that the bread can refer to or teaches about. And the first would be the person and work of Jesus Christ, okay? Jesus said himself that he was living Bread On more than one occasion, remember the upper room, Luke 22 records the night that he was crucified. He'd gather with his disciples. They're all on one side of that big long table that you've seen in the paintings at the Last Supper. And the Bible says that he took bread and gave thanks and break it and gave unto them saying, This is my body which is given for you. This do in remembrance of me. He was preaching in John 6 and we'll look there shortly. He said, for the bread of God is he which cometh down from heaven and giveth life in the world. Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger. He that believeth on me shall never thirst. So the New Testament tells us that, that, that bread pictures Jesus Christ. I want to give you five particulars in which the showbread is a type of the Lord Himself. The first way would be in its purity. The showbread pictures Jesus Christ in its purity. That verse we just read in Leviticus 24 verse 5 said, And thou shalt take fine flour and bake twelve cakes thereof. The, 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 the ingredients used... For the showbread were of the purest sort. It was fine flour. There was nothing admixed therein. And that pictures Jesus Christ, who the Bible says in Hebrews 7.25, was holy and harmless 
and separate from sinners. The Bible says he knew no sin. The Bible says he did no sin. The Bible says in him was no sin. It was that purity that allowed Jesus Christ to be offered as a sacrifice on our behalf. So, so, so the, the bread pictures Jesus in its purity, but how do you get from fine flour to loaves of bread? You have to bake it. There has to be heat. There has to be fire. That It has to go through some, some furnace of affliction to be heated to become a loaf. And so the bread pictures Jesus in, we'll call it, it's baking. <laughs> because in order to get from fine flour to loaves of bread... You have to bake it. And, and as we studied with the brazen altar, it was not just the life of Jesus Christ that brought about our salvation. It was the life of Jesus Christ that made possible his substitutionary death. If all he had done was work miracles, we'd be on our way to hell. If all he had done was, 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 was raise the dead, we'd be on our way to hell. If all that he had done was be born of a virgin, we'd be on our way to hell. All of that culminated in a furnace of affliction in which Jesus Christ gave his life, laid down his life, died on a cross. He alludes to this in a passage in which he compares himself to bread. Listen carefully, John 12, 24. Listen to what Jesus said. Think about this. Verily, verily, I say to you, except a corn of wheat fall in the ground and die, it abideth alone. Where, where does bread come from? Where does flour come from? From grain, from corn. And so Jesus said, in order... In order for you to take the grain of wheat and have something fruitful that could produce some bread, it has to fall into the ground and die. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. He that loveth his life shall lose it. He that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. You go, you fast forward in the passage. He explains what he's talking about. He said, I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. This he said, signifying what death he should die. So just like the fine flour had to be baked to become bread, Jesus Christ in his purity had to die to become our Savior. Now go ahead and turn to John chapter 6. Let's pick up Christ's discourse on the bread of life. Because the third way that the showbread pictures Christ is in life-giving power. Life-giving power. The priest would take the bread, they would eat it. It would be sustenance for them. John chapter 6. You, we have to keep in mind the contexts of this discourse. Because in John chapter 6, the miracle that has just been performed is the feeding of the 5,000, where Jesus took five loaves and two small fish and fed 5,000 men beside women and children. So bread is fresh on everyone's mind, right? Verse number 26, Jesus answered them and said, Verily, verily, I say to you, ye seek me not because ye saw the miracles, but because ye did eat of the loaves and were filled. <laughs> 
There are great multitudes following Jesus. But he says, you're just looking for a free meal. Verse 27, he said, labor not for the meat which perisheth, but for that meat which endureth unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you, for him hath God the Father sealed. What is, what is Jesus saying? I just gave you a physical meal. I just provided something to sustain your temporary life, but that's not what you need to focus on. That's, what, that's not what you need to be seeking. There is something much better that I have to offer, and that's what you need to seek. Is, is that not what he said in verse number 27, he goes on in verse 28, then said they unto him, what shall we do that we might work the works of God? Jesus answered, said unto them, this is the work of God that ye believe on him whom he hath sent. Verse 30, they said therefore unto him, what sign showest thou then that we may see and believe thee? What dost thou work? What a question to ask one who just fed 5,000 people with five loaves and two fishes. What a question to ask one who made the blind to see, made the deaf to hear, made the lame to walk, made the dead to write... What sign showest thou then? What other sign could he give you that he hadn't given you? An evil and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign. Verse 31, our fathers did eat man in the desert, as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Then Jesus said to them, verse 32, Verily, verily, I say to you, Moses gave you not that bread from heaven, but my father giveth you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he which cometh down from heaven and giveth Life unto the world. Guess what? You have to eat to stay alive. And, and God gave food for the sustenance of human life. It's a principle we all well understand. Most of us really enjoy, right? But Jesus is saying, just like you... In the wilderness, they didn't have bread. God gave them manna because they ate the manna. They lived. They didn't die. Jesus is saying, what you need for spiritual life is bread, and that bread is me. Verse 34, then said they him, Lord, evermore, give us this bread. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger. He that believeth on me shall never thirst. Jesus said, if, if you get this bread, it'll give you eternal life. Verse 47, verily, verily, I say to you, he that believeth on me hath everlasting life. I am that bread of life. Your fathers did eat man in the wilderness are dead. This is the bread which cometh down from heaven that a man may eat thereof and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Remember what he told Martha in John chapter 11, I'm the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though we're dead, yet shall he live. Believest thou this? John, 1 John 5.11 says, This is the record that God given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son of God hath not life. Do you have eternal life? Is not a question of what religion you have or what good deeds you have. Do you have eternal life? Is a question of do you have Jesus Christ because he is the living bread. Now, in order for bread to give you life, you have to eat it. You can't just stare at the bread on the table and receive the nutrients, right? You have to actually take it in your mouth, chew it, swallow it, and let digestion work its way into your body. We'll not think about that in detail this morning, but bread has to be received. It has to become 
a part of you, right? And, and Jesus is the same way. He is the living bread. He has life-giving power. He has the power to give eternal life. But in order for him to impart that life, you personally have to take him and receive him. And Jesus illustrated this in the verses that we skip. Verse number 52 of John chapter 6. The Jews therefore strove against themselves saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? He said, I'm the bread of God. And you're like, we, we got to eat you? Verse 53. Then Jesus said to them, verily, verily, I say to you, except you eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Verse 54, whoso eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is meat indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood dwelleth in me, and I in him as the living Father hath sent me, and I live by the Father. So he that eateth me, even he shall live by me. This is the bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers did eat man and are dead. He that eateth of this bread shall live forever. And they were very confused. Because Jesus often spoke of things in the spiritual realm. And they were thinking in the physical realm. And there are religious people to this same day that make that mistake. Based on John 6, they come to the Lord's table. The priest says some hocus pocus and turns the bread and the wine, they believe, into the literal flesh and blood of Jesus Christ and then to receive him they eat his flesh and drink his blood they call it the mass okay Jesus is not speaking of cannibalism in John chapter 6 it's a symbol it's a figure he's saying I like bread and in order for bread to take you life you've got to take it in in order for me to give you life you have to take me in you've got to eat my flesh and drink my blood but it was defined for us in verse number 47 look at it verily verily I say to you he that believeth on me hath everlasting life verse 57 see that eateth me even he shall live by me. Do you remember this principle from math class or from logic class? If A equals C and B equals C, then guess what? A equals B. Remember that? Anybody ever teach you that? Okay, good. If they haven't taught you that, there it is. If A equals C and B equals C, then A equals B. So if, if believing on me is equated to everlasting life, and if eating my flesh and drinking my blood is equated to everlasting life, then guess what? Believing on me is the same as eating my flesh and drinking my blood. He was, he was giving a symbol, a, an illustration, a physical illustration of a spiritual truth. So don't misunderstand what Jesus is saying in John chapter 6. What he's saying is very clear. Bread, physical bread has to be received to give you life. Jesus Christ has to be received to give you spiritual Life, Okay? You, you don't become a Christian by being a member of the Bible Baptist Church since you were five years old. You have to make a personal decision to place your faith and trust in what he did. Okay? Then number five, how this showbread pictures Christ is in its continuation. 
The Bible said in Exodus 25 and verse number 30 that it shall be before me always. In Numbers chapter 4 verse 7, it's called the continual bread. Same thing in 2 Chronicles 2.4 in the temple. It's called continual bread. Every Sabbath day, it was replaced. There was not a day went by that this bread, these six loaves, two rows of six loaves, 12 loaves of bread were not present before God in the tabernacle or later in the temple. It was the showbread. It was always present before the Lord. And that was on an ongoing and continual basis. And such is the sacrifice of Jesus Christ It was once for all. It doesn't have to be repeated. It avails to this very day. Hebrews 10, 12 said he made one sacrifice for sins forever. And he is able to save them the uttermost that come to God by him. Seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for us. The offer is always on the table for mankind to come and to be saved. So in those five ways, the showbread pictures... Jesus Christ, but the bread does not only teach us lessons about the incarnate Word of God, it also teaches us lessons about the written Word of God. And you'll find this throughout the Bible, what is said about the Son can also be said about the scriptures because in the Bible bread not only pictures Jesus Christ what did Jesus say in Matthew chapter 4 and verse number 4 man should not live by bread alone but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God so so, so bread is a symbol of it is an emblem of God's word in these five same ways that the showbread pictures Jesus Christ, in these five ways the showbread pictures the book that you have in front of you this morning. Consider its purity. Psalm 119, 140. Thy word is very pure. Proverbs 30, verse 5. Every word of God is pure. Just like the showbread is made of fine flour, there is no admixture. The words of the Lord are pure words. But in order for that fine flour to become a loaf, it had to be baked. That pictures the suffering of Jesus Christ, but it also pictures the furnace of affliction through which the scriptures were preserved. Psalm 12 verse 6 says, The words of the Lord are pure words, a silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. Thou shalt keep them, O Lord. Thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. Do you know what it took for us to have a, a, a perfect copy of God's word in our language available to us today? It took a lot of people shedding their blood and giving their lives. God kept his promise to preserve his word, but there was a furnace that was involved. In many ways, it was literal. Men such as William Tyndale, who were burned at the stake with a dying prayer, Lord, open the King of England's eyes so that the English language would be used by God to preserve a copy of his word for you and for me. So in its purity, in its 
baking in its life-giving nature, its life-giving power. We already quoted Matthew 4.4 4 and Luke 4.4. 4. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. You've got to have Jesus Christ to get eternal life, but you've got, look, you need to eat every day, right? For your physical life and your spiritual life is no different. One time on Sunday, even twice on Sunday, even three times if you make a midweek service, that is not sufficient to sustain your spiritual life. You've got to learn to feed yourself. At some point, you can't depend on mom to make your peanut butter and jelly sandwich anymore. You've got to go to the cabinet and get out the stuff and make your own meal if you want to stay alive. Right? Okay? And, and you can't expect the pastor to force feed you all of your life. Here's the spoon. Here's the baby food. Making an airplane. Open up. If that's what it takes for you to get spiritual food, you are a spiritual infant. And it's embarrassing to be 20 years old and act like an infant. I mean, imagine if, if at lunchtime today you went to the restaurant and your mom had to Make an airplane. Open up. At some point, you're supposed to progress past that. Your spiritual life is the same. Why do we have to make you open the Bible? There's, there's got to be a daily time where you go and get some bread to sustain your soul. The, the Word of God. Is pictured in the, in the showbread by its reception. Have the Bible on the shelf. Come on. Truth is not going to enter your brain and your life by means of osmosis. You can't just use the Bible as a pillow and expect it to get inside. You've got to take it and you've got to put it within. Jeremiah said, thy words were found and I did eat them. And thy word was unto me the joy and rejoice of my heart. You know, you know what God did when he called Ezekiel? He showed him a roll of a book and he said, go eat it. And that was, that was literal. He ate it. Maybe he had an iron deficiency. I don't know. He took the book and he ate it. it. He thought it would taste bitter, but then it became sweet. John, the same thing. Eat the book. Here's what God said to you. Eat the book. It's bread. It'll give you life, but you've got to take it in. Now, don't like rip out the pages and that's not good for your digestion. But spiritually speaking, take it in and make it a part of you. Then it's pictured in its continuation. It was continual bread. It was, it was on the table before me always. And the Bible says the word of the Lord is settled forever in heaven. The grass withereth, the flower fadeth, but the word of our God shall stand forever. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away just like the showbread was always before the lord here's what the king should do deuteronomy 17 he should have it with him every day and read therein all the days of his life okay so the bread pictures jesus christ but the bread also pictures the scriptures come back to exodus 25 let's use the last few minutes and let's talk about the table the table
In the Bible, the table is symbolic of or emblematic of provision. That's the meaning given in Psalm 23. Thou preparest the table before me, always in the presence of mine enemies. That's the implication in Psalm 78. Can God furnish a table in the wilderness, speaking of the wilderness wanderings, but God provided for them along the way. But the more obvious implication of a table is that of fellowship. It's where people gather to enjoy a meal, but to enjoy a meal together. Think of Mephibosheth sitting at the king's table in 2 Samuel 9. Think of Lazarus in John 12 at a table supping with Jesus Christ. So a table speaks of Fellowship. Listen to this. A lot of, lot of books on the tabernacle. I read this uh, in regards to the table of showbread. God instructed Moses to create vessels and utensils that would be placed on the table. Remember when we read that in Exodus 25? Plates and dishes for the bread, then also for the incense and pitchers and bowls for the liquid offerings. This is significant because a table with such things was present in all ancient Near Eastern homes. You always had a table with those items laid out on it. In having such a table in the tabernacle, the Lord was demonstrating that the people were to regard the tabernacle as his house. Again, it was where God would dwell with his people. Look at Exodus 25 and watch how this passage progresses. Verse number 10, what did they make? They made an ark. Verse number 17, on the ark was a mercy seat. For what purpose? Verse 22, and there I will meet with thee and I will commune with thee. That, that was the purpose of the tabernacle. God dwelling with, communing with his people. The ark and the mercy seat are immediately followed by this table of showbread. And look at the wording in verse 23. Thou shalt also make a table of shittim wood. So make an ark, make a mercy seat. I'll meet with you, commune with you also. A table of showbread indicating, teaching, pointing to the fact that the table is for the same purpose. The table is one and a half cubits high, just as the ark is one and a half cubits high. They're the same height, the same measurement, and, 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 and they're both a picture of God meeting with, dwelling with, communing with his people. Now, Fellowship with God is made possible by what the bread pictures. The table is a symbol of fellowship on the table. By the way, two loaves, or I'm sorry, two rows, 12 loaves, six, and then six. There's another way in which that showbread pictures the Bible. How many books in the Bible? 66 books. It's pretty interesting. But that bread that pictures Christ and that pictures the scriptures set upon the table that pictures fellowship speaks of how we can gain access to fellowship with God. How can I fellowship with God? Only through Jesus Christ. We don't have time to turn, but 1 John chapter 1, we have fellowship with God through Jesus Christ. But then having received him... Where do I meet with God? How do I commune with God? How, how can I develop a relationship with God? It's through the bread on the table that pictures the scriptures. 
My fellowship with God as a Christian comes through His Word. It is impossible to overemphasize the importance of your devotional life. There is no way to be any, any kind of Christian without spending time in the Bible, but not just spending time in the Bible for the purpose of gathering facts and acquiring knowledge and gathering information and checking off your list, spending time in the Bible for the purpose of fellowship with God. When we come to the scripture, it's so we can meet with the Lord and commune with the Lord and hear from the Lord. And so simply the challenge to close with this morning is you've got to spend time in the Bible. And when you do, come with that approach. Come with that attitude. Come with that purpose and objective. And we, we were pointed to all of those lessons from the table of showbread. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you this morning for your word, for your goodness to us, God, for the lessons that it teaches us. Thank you for the Bible. What an amazing book. Thank you for your son and what he did. Lord, help us to avail ourselves of these things. Draw nigh to you so you would draw nigh to us. Lord, give us a desire in our hearts for fellowship with you. We love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name.